0: Well, again, I just want to say happy Mother's Day. Moms, I promise, I promise, I promise, I am not just saying this. You, you seriously do not get the credit that you deserve. I, I truly believe this. You have the most difficult job on the face of the earth. I, it is so much easier when I think about this. For me to go to work for eight hours a day than it would be for me to stay at home with my kids for eight straight hours hours. In fact, it's so difficult, and some of you are going to be like, I can't believe you're admitting this. That that is so embarrassing. It's so difficult that I've never done it before. I I have literally never watched all three of my children for eight straight hours. Now, again, as I say that, you might be thinking, that is pitiful. That is absolutely pathetic. But I guess this is just kind of my confession here. This is my public acknowledgement that, that I literally could not do it. Uh, Quick story here, actually, as it relates to that, and then I promise I'll move on. Uh, About six weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, we we brought home our our, our third child, and and I knew that this day was coming. This this day was imminent, where it was like, okay, I'm going to have to watch all three children at once. And specifically, it came just a couple of days later, where on Tuesday evenings, uh, my wife is privileged to lead a women's group here for the church. And obviously, during this quarantine, it's all digital. And so I knew that on Tuesday nights at 6.30, this was going to be my moment, where where I was going to need to watch all three children like by myself for just one hour, though. So honestly, how difficult could could it be? And so uh, that Tuesday comes along, all day I'm honestly kind of thinking about it. Six thirty comes along, my wife she goes and locks herself in in the bedroom, and, and there I am left to watch all three children. It, it was horrible. Like I, I'm just going to say it. It was horrible. Like my daughter was throwing a fit the entire time about what I don't even know what at this point that the baby or a new baby that we had brought home was, was he was just crying the whole time. It's like, I, I don't know what moms have inside of them that allows them to like hold and bounce the exact same way that I am holding and the way that I am bouncing. And, and the kid just keeps pry, crying. She does it. It's like the kid just, you know, shuts up almost immediately. And so seven thirty finally comes around and, and my wife comes walking out of the bedroom. And I, I, promise you, I'm not making this up. I I walked right up to her and immediately just thrust the baby into her arms. And, And I'm not kidding. I was so razzled and I was so flustered that I looked at her and I said, honey, you have to switch this group to 8 p.m. I cannot do this every Tuesday. If I know that 630 on Tuesdays is a coming, I'm literally going to have a mental breakdown. And so if you're in that Tuesday night women's group, I I am just fully acknowledging you. The reason it got switched from 6.30 to 8 o'clock, and she really did switch it, is because of me. Because I... I literally could not handle watching all three of my children for an hour. Seriously, one hour about sent me to the psych ward. My, my wife does this on the daily. Again, you moms have the most difficult job on the face of the earth. And, and so seriously, moms, it, it is just a tiny, tiny, tiny way to say thank you. Uh, but please make sure that you take advantage of that, get a coffee, uh, get some sort of uh, food on us, go to Grumlaw.com mom, take advantage of that, you deserve it. Well, well I am really, really excited to, to start this new four-part series that we're going to be taking a look at called, I Want to Believe But. And, and what we're going to examine here over these next four weeks is, is something that's always kind of fascinated me. And perhaps it's just a me thing. I'm acknowledging that since, you know, after all, yes, I am a pastor, but, but as a follower of Jesus, a question that really bothers me, a question that you could probably think and say, it actually kind of drives me is why isn't everyone, why isn't everyone a follower of Jesus? Now, I recognize that even as I I, I say that out loud, even as I process that question right now, it's a bit of a loaded question. But from my viewpoint, and again, I I recognize that I probably have a bit of a bias here. But but if you understand who Jesus is, if you understand the beauty of the gospel— That God so loved the world that he sent his one and his only son down to earth to die for you because he so desperately wants a relationship with you. That he sent his son down to earth to fix the sin problem that we have no ability to solve ourselves because he loves you that much. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Why isn't everyone a follower of Jesus. And and as I've really wrestled with this and I've watched people, particularly you know this generation, millennials, people, people that are my age, walk away from Christianity at an unprecedented rate. In fact, every deconversion story that, that I have ever heard, and I, I know that there's probably an exception out there to this, but I'm just telling you, every one that I have ever heard, every instance of somebody deconverting from Christianity, they all share this common theme that the individual walked away from a God that never existed in the first place. You, you walked away from a version of Christianity. You walked away from a version of God that that never existed in the first place. Or, or, or as I've had conversations with people and perhaps I've invited people to church or I began to share my faith with people. Oftentimes I'm cut off and, and people all the time will say things like this. I, I want to believe, but I, I pray and God never gives me what I ask for. I, I wanna believe, but, but I'm not about to follow all of those rules. I, I wanna believe, but, but I just don't seem to, to feel God. I, I, I wanna believe, and this is a big one for a lot of you, but there are so many terrible things that happen in this world, a lot of what we're experiencing right now, and I can't believe a loving God would allow that stuff to happen. For, for a lot of you who are watching right now, th- this is a big sticking point for you. And, and so if it is, please, please, please do not miss next week. Next week, we're gonna tackle that topic in particular head on. But but, but in all of these situations that we see right here, I, I, I always wonder to myself, and I don't usually say it out loud, but in my head as, as people are saying these types of things, as they're throwing these kind of arguments at me, I, I wonder to myself, well, Well, who told you that that God existed? Where did you get that version of God from? Who 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 told you that God just answers every single one of our prayers? Who who told you, who convinced you that following God was about following rules? Who who led you to believe that you're always supposed to to feel God? Who Who told you that a loving God would never allow bad things to happen? Perhaps, maybe, you, you've been led to believe in a version of God that never existed in the first place. And, and so what we're going to do here is over these next four weeks, we're, we're going to talk a bit about these somebody told me so gods and, and, and hopefully, hopefully give you a more accurate picture of who God really is. And today we're going to be taking a look at one of the most commonly distorted versions of God, what I'm going to kind of refer to as on-demand God. One of the things that I really love about Grumlaw, one of the things I love about this church, about this community of people, is that a, a lot of younger people, a lot of millennials call Grumlaw their church home. And, and maybe sometimes, I've, I've kind of gotten hints of this, if you are a little bit older, you, you maybe perhaps feel left out. And so here is something right now that the older crowd that I assure you, you will be able to relate to, and the younger crowd that they will have virtually no concept of. Uh, growing up, uh, in the summers in particular, I grew up in a neighborhood where there were lots of other families families that had lots of kids that were me and my siblings' ages. And in the summers, there was basically every single Friday night, night, there was a standing appointment in the Prisk backyard where we would wait. And as soon as it got dark out, we would play a good old-fashioned game of kick kick the can. Now, I don't have time to explain what kick the can was all about, but let's just say it's about the best thing and the best time that you can have with a bunch of other kids. And in fact, right now, if a bunch of my buddies were like, hey, we're getting together on Friday night and we are playing kick the can, I would be absolutely in. I would be thrilled to play kick the can. But, but, but here's the dilemma that we would have on these Friday nights. As we were having the time of our lives and playing kick the can together, inevitably the clock would get, keep getting closer to eight o'clock and it'd be 7.50, and then it'd be 7.55, and this tension would begin to rise. And all of us would be looking at each other going, okay, we're having the time of our lives, but do we keep playing kick the can, even though this is amazing, or do we go inside for TGIF? Thank God it's Friday. ABC on Friday nights, TGIF. I mean, do we keep playing... Or do we go inside and watch one of the all-time runs in TV programming history? I mean, are you kidding me? Step by step, then it rolls right into Family Matters, then into Boy Meets World, and then Full House. It's like, I know we're having the time of our lives out here, but, but there is also inside on the TV set that there are four TV shows that are going to be coming on that could very well change our lives. Now, I, again, I know what you younger folk are actually thinking right now. Well, why is that? Why is that a dilemma? Because you just record it on your DVR and you watch it later. No, that's not how it worked. We didn't have that luxury. We didn't have DVR. You either watch it right in that moment as it is airing, commercials and all. That's right. We would have to sit there and actually watch the commercials or you miss it in your life. Your life will be left with this massive hole wondering what in the heck happened between Corey and Topanga this week. I mean, this is like rough, life-altering stuff. I'm kind of bummed out as I think about this, that my kids are never going to experience this. In fact, some of the most common words that are yelled to me by my two- and my four-year-old are, Daddy! Commercial! And then I go like sprinting into the living room and like looking for the Roku. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Logan. I'm so sorry, Malachi, that you had to endure five seconds of commercials. What a terrible father I am. And I'm fast forwarding through the commercials with the Roku remote and then it's back to their television show. It's back to their movie. And this isn't just TV. This is is every part of life. Right now in our first world, American society, if you want something, you can get it. And you can get it almost immediately. Unless, of course, it's toilet paper, then you're kind of quite out of luck. Too soon? Okay. We, we live in an on-demand society, and wouldn't you know it, we, we've transferred, maybe not necessarily intentionally, but we've transferred that expectation on to God. We, we, we have this on-demand version of God. The, the, the God who responds to fair and selfless requests the way that we would. We expect God to do for us at least what you would do for someone else. I mean, if there is a personal God out there, if I need or want something, he should do what I need. He should do what I want him to do. But here's the problem with on-demand God. And every single one of you who are watching right now, you've experienced this, whether you've been at this church thing for your entire life or this is brand new to you. This hasn't been your experience, right? You prayed for the marriage to last, but yet it still ended in divorce. You prayed for an answer and you heard nothing. You prayed for a sign and you didn't get one. You prayed for healing and they're still sick. You've been praying to get pregnant and it just isn't happening. And so you've concluded, okay, God, he must not exist. And guess what? You're right. That God does not exist. On-demand God does not exist. It it is okay to stop believing in on-demand God. Now, now, in order for us to kind of move forward in this conversation, there's a central truth that is really, really important for us to understand. And and this is just a fact. And so while it's true, I'm not promising that you're necessarily going to like it or it's going to sit particularly well with you. God, God does not exist to serve us. God does not exist to serve you. We, human beings, we exist to serve him. I am so sorry if someone has led you to believe that somehow the opposite is true and the potential damage that that has caused. But but you are not the main character within the pages of scripture. God is. God is not like this ultimate lucky rabbit foot. He's not a genie in a bottle that's available for our bidding. Now, 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 whether you like that or not, it's just true. And when you come to grips with that truth, it begins to dethrone that this on-demand version, this distorted version of God. He's the creator. We are the creation. He he is the potter. We are the clay. He is the Lord of all. We are his servants. And, and, And as best as I can here for the rest of our time together, I want to do my best to present to you a more accurate, version of God, who God truly is. Not, not, not the version that you maybe want him to be in any given moment, or, or perhaps the version that has been presented to you in the past. And, and, and I'm confident that by better understanding who God is, it, it, it'll cause you to want to explore more. It, it, it'll cause perhaps you to fall more in love with him. It, it, it'll cause you to move closer to him. And so if God isn't this on-demand God, then, then who is he? Uh, well, number one, God's heart is always loving. God's heart is always, always, always loving. Uh, allow me to frame it this way. Uh, we have a lot of moms, obviously, who are tuning in and, and who are watching today. And and if you're a mom, it obviously means that that you're a parent. And so all you parents, whether you're a mom or whether you're a dad, I, I have a quick question for you. Do, do you always give your kids what they ask for? I mean, 100% of the time, do you just give your kids what they ask for? No, uh, of, of course not. But, but in light of that, could I logically come to the conclusion that you don't love them because you don't always give them what they ask for? No, I mean, that, that certainly wouldn't be fair. And, and why? Because you're acting in their best interest because you love your children. And you recognize that by saying yes to all of their requests, that, that would actually harm them. That, that That would not be what is best for them. You recognize that, often, and come on, often, all of you parents who are watching right now, you say no a whole lot more than you say yes. I I mean, it's not even close. No comes out of your mouth a whole lot more than yes. You recognize that often the most loving thing to do is to deny the requests of your children. So in light of all of us agreeing with that, let, let me ask you something why do we jump to this conclusion with God? Why would we logically come to the conclusion that because God tells me no, then God must not exist? Or or because God tells me no, he must not be loving? I thought back to literally just one week ago, this, this, this one week ago, this past Sunday, it was a really nice day outside and I literally made a log of everything that my daughter asked me for that day. Uh, in just that one day, she asked me for two ice cream bars. She asked me for two Capri Suns. She asked me for three donuts. She asked me to not take a nap. And then she also asked me, because again, it was kind of like the first nice day that we have had. She asked me to go swimming in the lake. Now guess how many of those requests that I said yes to? One, or I guess maybe one and a half. I did allow her to drink one Capri Sun, and I gave her just one donut whole. Now, and any of you watching right now, all of you that are tuning in, are, are any of you judging me? Do, do, do any of you think that I'm a monster that, that, that I wouldn't allow her to go jumping freely into a 50-degree lake? Do, do, do any of you think I'm a terrible, unloving father because I didn't let her eat ice cream for dinner? Of course not, B- because every single one of you, you are all smart enough to recognize that by saying no, it is oftentimes the most loving thing to do. A- as parents, we, we often, frequently, daily deny our children's requests, even if we have the power to say yes, e- even when we have the power to do it. I remember one of the big blowups for me between me and my father in high school was my senior year. Uh, After prom, I was dead set on convincing my father to allow me to stay over at a friend's house after prom. And and my dad was not budging. He was like, you're not doing that. You can just stop asking. It's the same rules as always. You need to be home by midnight. You are not staying the night over there. Because my dad knew that over in that house, there was going to be drugs. There was going to be drinking. There was certainly going to be sex. And he wasn't going to allow his son to be thrust into that environment. It was the most loving thing to do. I didn't recognize it at the time, but looking back, yes, it was the most loving thing for my father to do. Yet, that this is precisely the unfair treatment. This is precisely the flawed logic that we bestow upon God. Sometimes God denies something for us because he's developing something in us. There's a book that we have in the New Testament Uh, It's titled Romans. It's actually a letter that a guy that went by the name of Paul wrote to the early Christian church in Rome. Uh, And Paul, the author, in a lot of ways, he's responsible for the spread of Christianity in the first century. Uh, We we might not literally be, be gathering in front of televisions and phones and laptops, you know, all over the state of Michigan if it wasn't for for people, and in particular, this guy, Paul. He was on the front lines in this ancient Mediterranean world spreading the name of Jesus. And and it it wasn't like this, this fun, you know, really easy task for him. He was constantly facing persecution. He was in and out of prison. He, he, he was constantly going through a lot of pain, a lot of trials because of his, of his zeal, because he was going around spreading the name of Jesus. And in light of all of that, here is what Paul writes in his letter to the early Christian church in Rome. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And, and then he asks a question that you probably in one way or another have also asked. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry, or or we're destitute, or we're in danger, or we're threatened with death. And these weren't hypotheticals for Paul. These are all things that he had endured. Does it mean he no longer loves you if you have financial issues or unemployment or cancer or COVID or depression? And Paul answers his rhetorical question. He says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through christ who loved us and that nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of god that is revealed in christ jesus our lord god's heart is always loving god does not prove his love for us by doing what we want God proved his love for us when he sent his son to die for us. When he sent his son to die for for you, you who are watching right now. While we were still sinners, Jesus gave his life, he gave his love, proved his love for you so that you might have the opportunity to be made right with God. And if you ever doubt that love, you never need to look any further than the cross. God's heart is always, always loving. Number two, God's ways are always higher. Uh, as a pastor, uh, I often get asked questions that probably you are not really forced to wrestle with on a, on a regular basis. It's one of the things I actually love about my job, but Um, I I get asked these questions of, okay, why did this person die when they did? How come, you know, in this accident with the drunk driver, the drunk driver, you know, lives, but this person is taken in in their youth? And and, and these really, like, hard, difficult questions. And I got to tell you, in, in these scenarios, my most frequent response is, I don't know. I don't know. And, and I'm sure that that answer drives you nuts if you're the one that's asking the question, but, but it's the truth. I, I, I don't know. I'm never going to make stuff up or <laughs> come up with just some you know, foolish kind of sideways response that actually dodges the question. I, I, I don't know why he hasn't gotten better. I, I don't know why our world is in this crisis. I, I don't know why you're still battling d- depressions. Some of these questions, frankly, they're just above my pay grade. It's beyond my finite ability to comprehend. And so I have to cling to to this truth that God's ways are always higher. And and I know that for some of you watching, that doesn't sit particularly well with you, That, that, that God's ways are above your ways. Here are some of the words from God himself. We find this in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, kind of the first half of the Bible. But again, this is God speaking. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. There are times, in fact, frequently that you're not gonna have an explanation and you must cling to this truth. And before maybe some of you, and I get this, you're maybe a little cynical. And before you jump to, okay, well, that's kind of a convenient little cop out there, pastor boy. Think about it this way. If you completely understood God, would he be worthy of your praise? I mean, if you totally understood God, I mean, everything about him, would you be tuning in right now? Would you be watching right now to learn more about him? I mean, come on. Isn't it that beyond our understanding, so much greater than us component that makes him worthy of our praise, that makes him worthy of our adoration, that makes him worthy of our attention? If God was just a slightly better, slightly improved version of you, I mean, how long would that last? God's ways are are always higher. Sometimes the very thing that you want now ends up being so much less than what God had planned for you. So, So I know, I'm not unsympathetic to this, I know it maybe feels devastating right now that he broke up with you. But, but years later, when you're married to like him, it's like, guy 2.0, like way more than you could have ever dreamt of. You're not going to be wishing that you were back with senior chump change. I, I know that, that, that some of you, throughout your life, you have experienced extraordinary tragedy and you would certainly never wish or or, or want to go through it again, but but years later, you're able to look back and you see how God used that season of your life for good. You you might never have a complete understanding of the why, but, but, but you do have peace because you cling to the truth that God's ways are always higher. And then number three, God's presence is always enough. One of my prayers in this season is that people would be developing their relationship with God like never before. That being a Christian would go beyond just being a nice person and showing up to church or tuning into church a couple times a month. That, that, that all of you who are watching right now would be in particular investing in your relationship with Jesus like never before by developing a daily time set aside for just you and him. That, that, that you would be pursuing Jesus like you have never before and experience in turn the joy, the peace, the contentment that, that, that comes with a true relationship. Relationship where you get to a point, and this isn't a fairy tale, where you don't really care what happens to you because you know who is with you. I'm not saying this to be dramatic. It, it grieves me that so many Christians, particularly Christians living in first world countries like America, that they settle for this watered-down, lukewarm version of following Jesus and they never experience what we're talking about here. They never experience his presence. Psalm is a collection of, of prayers and, and songs and praise for God from a myriad of different authors. And one of the writers in, in Psalms uh, is a guy who went by the name of David, who, who definitely had some ups and some downs in his life. And one of the things he writes in the 23rd chapter is, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. God, even though you haven't given me all of the answers, even though you haven't answered all my prayers the way that I think you should answer them, even though there's so much that is out of my control, I'm not going to be afraid because you, God, are close beside me. Talk to any person that has this unwavering, unshakable faith, and they're going to tell you that they don't experience God most on the mountaintops. In fact, it's on on those highs that we're often quick to forget God. It's typically in the valleys that we experience him most intimately. He, He may very well allow you to be led through the valleys so that you might experience him in a new way that you would experience that intimacy like you never have before. His presence is enough. And for every single one of you who are watching right now, this this doesn't have to be a, oh, well, that's nice for you. You're offered this. You, You are offered God's presence. You are offered that peace. But, but I'm telling you, let's just make this really clear. This is not something that you're just going to stumble into. This is why we make such a big deal around here of daily encounter, of carving out that intentional time every single day where you just get alone with you and God. It's why I advocate that the first thing that you do when your head comes flying off the pillow, the first thing you do when your alarm goes off is you get alone to a quiet place, you eliminate distractions and you spend quality time actually building a relationship with your heavenly father where you pray. Don't overthink prayer. It's sharing honest feelings with him where you open up his word and you allow it to speak to you. You don't know where to start? Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of those first four books of the New Testament that are just biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Just read about Jesus and allow that to speak to you. You Give yourself opportunities where you're actually getting to to hear and and, and listen from God. We we, we so often want God to kind of ram his presence into our busy, chaotic schedules, but it doesn't work that way. It, It takes intentionality. Just like it took intentionality to build earthly relationships, it's no different with God. I've talked about this before, but you know my three arguably favorite months of the year are October, November, December. Uh, I, I love deer hunting. And honestly, as, as I've grown in my faith, it's become less about like actually hunting deer and, and more about just this incredible time that I get with my heavenly father. Fully acknowledging that it's those three months where I probably feel closest to God where I have the greatest intimacy with God. And that probably shouldn't come as a surprise because there aren't very many points, there aren't very many times throughout the calendar year outside of those three months where I'm setting aside literally hours, hours at a time with just me and my heavenly father, where I'm sitting in a tree, in his creation, With my phone on airplane mode, with his word open, and I'm reading and allowing him to speak to me, and I'm crying out and I'm sharing with him, and and, and this is the most important. We do such a terrible job of this. I'm just listening. I'm slowing down and saying, God, whatever you want to say to me, please say it to me right now. And I'm giving him that space. God's heart is, is always loving, God's ways are always higher. And God's presence is always enough. If you're watching right now and you've lost your faith in on-demand God, good. Because on-demand God does not exist. The, the real God, the God we're privileged to talk about here on Sunday mornings, is way too big. He's way too glorious. He's way too good. He's way too supreme. He's way too powerful to be a puppet to men. He is the sovereign creator, the God of the universe, and he does not exist to serve you. You exist to serve him. And and when we begin to come into our right place with him and we recognize how much greater he is than us, we worship him not because of what he does, but for who he is.